Hello and welcome to season one of Romance with Heart and Heat, your podcast and YouTube show for contemporary rom-com audiobook serials. My name is Marie Matthew and I'm the author of the stories you're going to hear on this channel. The title of season one is The Bad Girl List and this is a fake dating second chance rom-com set in California wine country. Find out how one life-changing vacation list puts the heart of Dominique Chen on the line when she meets sexy wine grower Trevor Moretti. The content of this channel is intended for audience members that are 18 years and older. There is some explicit content on this channel. There is light swearing and there are some explicit spicy scenes. So I don't want any surprises as people move into the story so you have been warned. Be sure to stick around at the end of each episode for author commentary. And if you have any questions or comments, you can drop them into the comments section in YouTube, or you can also send me an email at romancingmarie at gmail.com. I'll do my best to answer questions and comments in future episodes on the show. Please like and subscribe to my channel on your favorite platform, whatever that happens to be. And please help me spread the word and share the show with your friends. Now, as you're listening along, if you get to the point where the tension's too much and you just can't wait to find out what happens next, you can head over to mariematthew.com and you can purchase the complete season of The Bad Girl List over on my website. It's available in ebook format, audiobook format, and there's also autographed hardbacks and paperbacks. So you will get the entire season for free on YouTube and the podcast. But again, if you just can't wait, head over to mariematthew.com. Thanks so much for listening. And now it's time for some romance with heart and heat. I hope you enjoy. Chapter 14. Platitude. Dominique. Platitude Bar is the antithesis of Zeke's. For starters, it's not out in the middle of the vineyards on an unlit two-lane highway. It's right on the downtown plaza of Healdsburg, a quaint area with boutique shops and restaurants. The main square has a large gazebo on a raised stage for summer concerts according to Trevor, mature trees and grassy areas for picnics. It's the sort of place you read about on travel blogs. When we step into the bar, the vibe is different. It's definitely an under-40 type of place. The only people not dressed up are the local hospitality workers, most of whom are easy to spot in their black slacks and white shirts. Everyone else is dressed up for a night out in wine country. It's also packed with people, so crowded that I'm going to have to turn sideways to get anywhere. I love this place already. Annika stops just inside the doorway to sweep her gaze over the crowd. She takes a deep dramatic breath and says, bring on the shots. Minnie said she'd be here right? Thomas asks. Annika rolls her eyes. Keep your dick in your pants, dude. She'll be here. Come on, let's go get tequila shots and play a drinking game. She grabs Thomas by the arm and drags him away, winking at me over her shoulder. What do you think? Trevor has to shout to be heard over the noise. He's wearing those delicious ass-hugging wranglers and a simple button-down shirt with the sleeves rolled up to the elbows. I decide Trevor could make a paper bag look sexy. Do you want the politically correct answer, or the honest answer, I ask. I think you and I left politically correct behind in my brother's trunk. I laugh. It feels good to be able to joke about last night's drunken debacle. Honestly, I hate places like this. It's too crowded. I like Zeke's so much better. Surprise flits through his eyes. I don't like crowds either. Come on, I know a place where it's a little quieter. He takes my hand and pulls me through the crowd, heading toward the back. His grip tightens as the mass of flesh presses in around us. A few minutes later at the back of the bar, Trevor leads me down a short hallway that opens onto an outdoor patio. This is the spot where smokers come to enjoy a cigarette. There are at least half a dozen ashtrays around the courtyard. I spot three people, all of them in black restaurant slacks and white button-down shirts, smoking together. 
Hope you don't mind the smoke, but it's quieter out here, Trevor says. I'll take cigarette smoke over a mosh pit any day, I reply. Me too. He gestures to a cluster of bistro tables under outdoor lights that fill the back half of the patio. Grab a table. I'll get us some drinks. What do you want? Since we're not being politically correct, I say, how about something that's watered down? I still have a headache from last night. He laughs at me but not unkindly. Okay, be back in a few. I pick a table in the back corner. Trevor comes out a few minutes later carrying not one, not two, but three glasses of white wine. Three glasses, I exclaim. What part of watered down did you not understand? You just want to entertain the gnomes in my head, don't you? Don't worry, he says with a chuckle. I don't expect you to drink all this. I thought it might be fun for you to taste some wine. Do you like Sauvignon Blanc? It's one of my favorites, I say. Not that I'm a wine expert, but Annika always has it at her place, so I drink it quite a bit. Looks like I picked the right varietal. Trevor arranges the glass across the middle of the bistro table. These are all Sauvignon Blancs, but they're from different regions. There's one from Sonoma County, one from New Zealand, and one from Italy. You look nice tonight, by the way. His eyes take in my low-cut halter top and relaxed cargo pants. If he knew how many outfits I tried on for tonight, he'd probably laugh. I tried on several of Annika's tighter, sexier outfits, but since I'm not sure where I stand with Trevor, in the end I opted for regular dom clothes with my hair in two buns. I didn't want to look like I was trying too hard. I don't really fit in with the crowd in platitude, but when Trevor looks at me, I get the feeling he doesn't care about that. Thanks, I say. Oliver hated it when I wore clothes like this when we went out. He was always bugging me to change and dress up. Trevor's eyes darken. Any guy that doesn't like you for who you are is a prick. I like the way he says that, like he's defending my preferred choice of clothes. Thanks. I pick up the first glass of wine so that I have an excuse to look away. Swirling the wine, I say, this is the one from Sonoma County, right? Yes, he says. It was aged in stainless steel tanks, which brings out the mineral quality of the grape. Try it and let me know what you think. I take a sip. It's good. I think I can taste the minerals, but I'm not an expert. Annika is the one who knows wine. She's the wine buyer for a restaurant on the wharf. She is? Trevor's eyebrows lift. Don't tell my dad that. He'll be all over her if he thinks he can get our wine on her list. She takes bribes, I reply. Usually the sales guys have to kick down a case or two to get on her list. Now that's a language my dad will understand. I'll let him know after you guys go home. Oh, I brought something for you. He flips open the pocket on his shirt, which I had noticed was oddly bulging. Trevor fishes out a small jar, the sort you might use for fancy salt, and sets it on the table in front of me. But instead of salt, it's filled with what looks like. You brought me a jar of dirt, I ask. Um yeah? It sounds weird when you say it like that, but it's not regular dirt. It's something we make on the farm called barrel compost. We sell it in the tasting room. I just finished up a fresh batch last week. He brought me a jar of compost. It oddly fits with the guy they first met at Zeke's, the one who hadn't even bothered to change out of his dirty work shirt before going out for a drink. I feel like he's letting me see a little more of him, and I like that. I rotate the tiny jar in my hands, pausing to read the label on the front. Moretti Winery and Vineyards Biodynamic Barrel Compost. Mix contents of jar with five cups of water and stir vigorously for 20 minutes. For best results, apply to topsoil of garden in the afternoon on the day of a descending moon. Are you analyzing the label design? Trevor asks. Maybe a little, I admit. Sorry, it's an artist thing. Why does this say it's best to apply in the afternoon of a descending moon? It's part of biodynamic farming, Trevor replies. We work with the natural cycles of the earth and the planets to maximize the potential of the land and the grapes we grow. The earth absorbs nutrients better in the later parts of the day. The soil becomes more active as the moon moves farther away from the earth, making the compost more effective when you apply it at that time. I know this all sounds hippy-dippy, but it's really about gravity and science. 
I never heard of biodynamic farming until I met you. I lean forward, peering at the dark, rich earth inside the jar with more appreciation. I wish I'd known just a sliver of this when working on the redesign of the Moretti label. I can see now that my designs were way off. Nothing in my pieces captured the heart of the vineyard Trevor is describing. He tilts his head at me. You should come by the winery if you have time while you're here. I can give you a private tour and show you some of the biodynamic farming practices. I nod. I'll have to check with the aunties on the schedule, but that sounds fun. My mind is churning as several new variations of the Moretti wine label begin to form in my head. You have that look on your face, he says. What look? That look you get when you're drawing. Except you're staring off into space instead of sketching. Sorry. I firmly push aside the images tumbling through my mind, reminding myself that their wine label is no longer in my hands. Draw something for me, he says. I want to see what your ideas are. My dad wants to redesign our labels. Sorry, no. I shake my head. No way will I open that can of worms. If he finds out I was fired for my work on his family label, I'll be mortified. When he frowns in confusion I add, it's my vacation. I want to focus on drawing fun stuff like tequila and your truck. Sorry, I didn't mean to try to hijack your vacation. I just like watching you draw. The smile he gives me makes me melt. Oliver never once said he liked to watch me draw. Taste this wine now. Trevor slides a glass in my direction. This one is from Italy. The Sauvignon Blanc is blended with Viognier, which gives it a completely different profile. Is Viognier another type of grape? He nods. We have a small vineyard block of Viognier at the winery. We offer a limited release every year for our wine club members. It's one of my favorite white wines. I take a sip, marveling at the flavor that washes across my tongue. It is completely different, I say. I can't believe it's the same grape as the first one. What am I tasting? Those are the floral notes from the Viognier, he says. It gives the Sauvignon Blanc a completely new dimension, don't you think? He continues to chat about the wines while I listen, fascinated. I knew from what Annika said that there was a lot more to wine than meets the eye, but hearing Trevor talk about it is a thousand times more captivating than listening to my cousin. The look in his eyes as he talks is something I haven't seen before. My fingers itch to draw him to capture the obvious passion he feels for his craft, but I decide against it. Trevor has seen me draw enough pictures of him. I don't want my eccentric artist image to morph into something weird. We fall into easy conversation, chatting about the Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand, which has tropical qualities. I try not to notice the way my body amps up the longer I sit here with him. I'm pretty sure turning me on should not be this easy, especially since we're not even touching and I'm not even sure if this is a real date. Trevor sips the wines with me. As he talks about the grassy notes found in the Sonoma County Sauvignon Blanc, we both reach for the same wine glass. Our fingers brush around the wine glass stem. We look up at each other, fingers still touching, neither of us moving. I clear my throat and sit back. Are you ready for 20 questions? I've been thinking about things to ask him all day. Sure. Hold on, I have a list. He reaches into his pocket and pulls out a crumpled piece of paper. You made a real list of questions, I exclaim. This is from my mom, he says. It took my dad less than five minutes to tell her all about you and your family after he left my house. She's a stickler for details. I'm really glad you agreed to dinner or else I'd be screwed. I haven't mentioned the Moretti dinner to the aunties yet. I'm still working myself up for the lie. Hopefully, I'll be up for it by tomorrow. Mom sent me a list of things to ask you, Trevor says. Have I mentioned my mom likes lists? My family loves lists too. I lean forward. Let me see. He flattens out the piece of paper. I scan it. No allergies, I say. My auntie D refuses to eat sushi and Annika hates raw onions. No one is left-handed. That's a weird question. Gramps is left-handed, he explains. He and my grandma had a certain way of sitting when she was alive so they wouldn't knock elbows. My mom is really amped up for this, in case you couldn't tell. She's being extra thorough. She sounds sweet, I reply. 
We're plain water drinkers. We don't need anything fancy. Great, thanks. Let me send a text to my mom. She's been bugging me since she found out about this. He taps out a quick message before putting his phone back into his pocket and refocusing his attention on me. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, can I ask the first question? Sure. Favorite color. I blink. Did you just ask an artist what her favorite color is? His brow rumples. I thought that would be a perfect question for an artist. He's sincere, which makes me think he put thought into what he wanted to ask me. Could he be any sweeter? My favorite color changes constantly. Literally. For the last few minutes, I've been loving the rusty red of the sign behind you. I point to the old metal coke sign hanging from the fence that looks like it's been exposed to the elements for at least 50 years. I hesitate, then add, and right now I really like the way the light hits the side of your face and makes your scruff turn this amazing gold color. Feeling bold, I lean forward on my elbow and touch a finger to the side of his face. My chest heats up when he catches my hand, fingers running across the backs of my knuckles. I feel suddenly fluttery and nervous. Do you have a favorite color? His eyes linger on me before he releases my hand. Not really. Seriously? It's my turn to frown at him. I was sure it must be blue. There's so much of it in your house. My mom hired an interior designer when they built the bungalow. It wasn't specifically built for me. It was meant to be a guest house. Huh. So neither of us has a favorite color? He flashes me a grin. I guess not. Look how much we have in common. I love the way he says that, like something about us makes sense. Okay, my turn, I say. Have you ever watched Survivor? The reality TV show? He sits up straighter. Are you kidding? We watched it every week as a family growing up. Me too. Yet another thing we have in common. Did you know that in the beginning, they let contestants bring one luxury item? That's my question. If you got to be a Survivor contestant, what would your luxury item be? He takes a sip of wine, thinking. The overhead lighting casts a faint halo around his golden hair. I don't think three-legged dogs count as luxury items, so in that case, I think I'd bring toothpaste. Good choice, I say. Everything is better with good breath. Exactly. His eyes flick to my mouth, then back to my face. What about you? What would your luxury item be? Sketchbook, of course. I could have guessed that. He leans forward with both elbows on the table. My turn. Get ready, things are about to get serious. He smiles to show me he's teasing. I need your education credentials. I'm pretty sure we would know that about each other if we'd really been out a few times. Salutatorian of my high school, I say. Graduated with honors from UC Berkeley with a degree in digital design. Your turn. I had education on my list too. UC Davis, double major in viticulture and enology, he replies. Definitely not salutatorian in my high school class. I didn't get serious about school until college, when I actually liked the subject matter. Sometimes I wish I'd relaxed a little when going through school and enjoyed myself more. I say. Sure, it's cool that I was a salutatorian, but I missed out on a lot of fun stuff like football games and field trips because I wanted to study. I come from a long line of overachievers. Annika says it's hardwired into us. I don't think that's a bad thing, he says. It's good to go after what you want. Our knees bump under the table. I almost move away, then decide against it, waiting to see what he does. Trevor doesn't move either, and our knees remain lightly touching. Tell me about your family, I say. Well, you've already met Thomas and my dad. Gramps lives on the winery property in his own place. My mom and dad live in the big house near the tasting room. I have an older sister, Celine. She's currently working at a winery in Italy. She's a winemaker. Why doesn't she work for the family winery like the rest of you? She will, eventually. Celine has to do everything in her own time. But it's fine. Our current winemaker has worked for us for more than 10 years. He's good at what he does. Tell me about your family. Do you have any siblings? Annika and I are both only children but we grew up on the same street, so we're practically sisters. She has an older brother. Our moms are the oldest in a family of six kids. Auntie Helen never got married, 
but we have a bunch of other cousins, most of them younger than us. A nice big family then, Trevor says. We always have something going on, I reply. Whether it's birthday celebrations, holidays, or just our monthly potluck, we spend a lot of time together. The aunties go to a casino almost every month. I like having a close family. My family is close too, Trevor says. Tell me about your ex-boyfriend. Oliver? I wrinkle my nose. Why do you want to know about him? I don't know. He's come up in all of our conversations. I'm curious about what sort of guy he is. Oh. I shrug. Well, he was perfect on paper. Good job, nice family, etc. But he was more into tennis and his career than he was ever into me. It hurts to admit that, but with two months of processing behind me, I know Annika is right about that. He always put me third, and I let him. I'm not sure what Trevor sees in my face, but he reaches across the table and lightly holds my hand. Hey, don't be so hard on yourself. I stare over Trevor's shoulder at the scuffed wooden fence that surrounds the courtyard. I just thought everything would work out if I supported him, you know? Like if I went to those stupid bars and sat in the corner while he networked. He left you alone in bars to network? At least once or twice every week. And if I wasn't supporting him with his networking, I was home alone while he was off playing tennis. He moved in with his tennis partner a few days after he broke up with me. I shrug uncomfortably, feeling like I'm sharing the most pathetic parts of myself. I let him treat me like a second-class citizen, so I can't really complain. You're being too nice, Dom. Trevor takes my other hand, leaning both elbows on the table to look at me. That guy sounds like an asshat. You're a nice person, and he took advantage of you. What about Elle? I ask, wanting to change the subject. I don't like thinking about Oliver. What was she like? Trevor's face softens. Under the glow of the outdoor lighting, I can see how much he still cares about her. You know that crowd we just waded through in the bar, he asks. What about it? Elle would have been in the middle of that, and loving every second. She was the sort of person who could walk into a room of strangers and come out with three new friends. I could never figure out how she did it. I think of the pretty girl with four-inch heels in the picture on Trevor's fireplace mantle. What he describes fits what I had seen there. Knowing Elle could be summed up as my complete opposite makes me feel deflated. I extract my hands and lean back in my chair, though I can't quite bring myself to move my leg away from his. Trevor leans back too, his gaze distant. She was the extrovert, I was the introvert. She loved going with me on sales calls. He breaks off. I sense a change in the mood. Trevor hunches over, pulling his leg away from mine, and twirls one of the wine glasses between his hands. Trevor, you okay? I'm okay. He lifts his chin, but the smile he gives me doesn't touch his eyes. Remember that hotel I told you about for skinny dipping? I think Tuesday is a good night to go, if you're free. Tuesdays tend to be slow days for tourists, so there's less chance of running into people and getting caught. I absorb the change in subject, mentally kicking myself for asking about Elle. What had I been thinking when I brought her up? Stupid. Tuesday night sounds great. I give him a soft smile, with the hopes of returning to the easiness that existed between us before I'd blundered. Annika and I are free every night after dinner. Make sure you wear shoes you can hike in. He glances up at me. My chest relaxes as I see the warmth has returned to his eyes, and his foot bumps up against mine. I have to drag you through a forest to get to the backside of this place. Now I'm really intrigued. I grin, shifting my legs so that our calves touch. Am I an idiot for wanting an excuse to touch him? Should I be worried that it sounds suspiciously like the beginning of the Blair Witch Project? He opens his mouth to reply, but a loud voice breaks into our conversation. Hey Trevor. A tall, clean-shaven guy with dark brown hair strolls in our direction, carrying a brown cocktail in one hand. Dude Trevor, nice to see you out, buddy. Who's your friend? Who says you need a plus one for a satisfying date night? Meet Hello Date Night, the book box that contains everything you need for a perfect night of pleasure. 
Each box comes with an autographed copy of the Bad Girl List, a discreet feminine pleasure toy with a matching travel bag, and a sensual rose candle. Say yes to your perfect date night and head over to mariematthew.com to purchase this limited edition book box today. Chapter 15. The Friend. Trevor. Kevin Durham from Durham Estate Winery saunters in our direction. I should be happy to see him. Technically, he's a friend. His winery is only a few miles down the road from ours. The two of us go all the way back to preschool. We played from time to time as kids, and he even dated my sister for a while in high school. But I don't like the way Kevin is looking at Dom. The guy is well known among the locals to be a ladies' man among the tourists. For a guy who doesn't like commitment, tourists provide him with a constant supply of boobs and booty. His words not mine. He can turn and burn through them without any worry of commitment. Dom and I have not talked about number 10. Technically, Kevin would be perfect for a vacation fling, but no fucking way does she need to know that. She's too good to be just another notch in his belt. Hey. Kevin stops by our table, setting his cocktail down as he drags over a chair. What's going on, Trevor? Not much, I reply. Who's your friend? Kevin flashes Dom a wide appreciative smile that grates like a file against my nerves. I am reminded that he spends his days schmoozing customers in the tasting room of his family's winery. I'm Dominique. She extends her hand. You can call me Dom. Nice to meet you, Dom. Kevin shakes her hand. Where are you from? I live in San Francisco. I'm here for the next week with my family for vacation. Nice. Did you come up for passport? We did. We had fun today, visiting all the wineries. Did you come by Durham Estate yet? He asks. That doesn't sound familiar. I don't think so. You should definitely come by tomorrow, Kevin says. That's my family's winery. I'll be working the event. I'll pull out a special reserve bottle for you and your family. Just come find me. And just like that, Kevin is working his magic, charming Dom with his perfect smile and smooth, easy manner. Thanks, Dom says. I'll mention it to my family. My mom and Andy's have a pretty packed schedule, but we can always be tempted by a special reserve tasting. Kevin winks at her. He's always been good with women. In high school, he had a different girl every few weeks. He had a way of making each and every one of them feel special, right up until the day he dumped them. What's that? Kevin points to the jar of compost. Trevor brought it for me, Dom says, fingering the edge of the jar. It's compost from his winery. Kevin raises a quizzical eyebrow at me. That's quaint. It occurs to me that if Kevin was here in my place, he would not have brought Dom a jar of dirt as a present. I feel like an idiot. What had I been thinking? So how do you guys know each other? Kevin asks. My cousin and I met Trevor and Thomas at Zeke's last night, Dom says. Ah, so you found the local's bar. Kevin eyes me, as though sizing up my relationship with Dom. You look like you need a refill, he says gesturing to the nearly empty wine glasses on the bistro table. What can I get you? Oh, Dom shoots a quick look at me. We, oui. you were doing a wine tasting, weren't you? Kevin says. From the color of the wine, I'd say Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Dom smiles, clearly impressed that he can identify a wine varietal from the color. Like it's that hard. Trevor was teaching me about different Sauvignon Blancs. Kevin snaps his fingers. Since you've had the white wine tasting flight, it's time for a red. Stay right here. I'll be back. He grabs his Red Bull and Coke, sauntering off. As soon as he's out of sight, Dom turns in her chair and leans toward me. Do you think he's a good candidate for number 10? So much for trying to keep that idea out of her head. Apparently, Kevin's oozing charm made it obvious. He's okay. I don't mean to sound like a grumpy old man, but I can't help it. I already miss the easy conversation Dom and I had been having. It makes me realize how long it's been since I've enjoyed sitting around and talking to another human being. Okay meaning yes, you think he's a good candidate. Or okay meaning he might have an STD. I leap straight into the opening she has provided. He has a lot of women. Tourists are his specialty. That way he never has to commit to anyone. That sounds ideal, Dom says. Now I'm confused. 
I'd pretty much just called Kevin a man slut. How does that make him ideal? I mean it makes him a good candidate for number 10, Dom says. If tourists are his specialty, then I just have to go through the motions with him so I can cross number 10 off the list. The idea of Dom going through the motions with Kevin does not sit well with me. I think we can find you someone better. Okay. Dom looks at me not saying anything else. I stare back at her. The unspoken question hanging between us makes me simultaneously uneasy and aroused. My dick has been partially hard ever since Dom slid into the backseat of Thomas's Tesla with me. I want her as much as I did that first night, maybe even more so now. But I can't shake the guilt over L that arises every time I think about being with Dom. You're right, I say at last. He's fine for number 10. Saying those words makes me more irritable than it should. I try to shake off the feeling. Hey, should we go inside and see what Annika and Thomas are up to? I point to the doorway that leads back into the bar, which is now pulsing with music from the DJ. She frowns. Kevin is bringing back drinks for us. Don't worry, he'll find some other beautiful girl to share them with. Come on. I rise and hold out my hand, eager to leave before Kevin finds his way back to us and monopolizes all of Dom's attention. Her eyes search mine, and again I feel the unspoken question surfacing between us. The skin between my shoulder blades begins to itch. I don't know what I'll say if she voices the question. If she asks me to be her number 10. Dom opens her mouth to speak. My anxiety ratchets up another notch but all she says is, okay, let's go back inside. She rises, reaching for the jar of compost I'd given her. I'm reminded of how lame the present is. I could have brought her fresh flowers from the vineyard, or even a bottle of wine or some other stupid tchotchke from the tasting room, like a branded wine opener. What in the world had possessed me to bring her dirt? But Dom turns the jar in her hand, flashing me a brief smile before dropping it into her purse. This is officially my favorite wine country souvenir, she says. I hadn't even realized I'd been holding my breath until my chest relaxes. Dom takes my outstretched hand. I pull her against my side and rest my hand on the bare skin of her back. She's so petite that my hand stretches from one curve of her waist to the other. The feel of her makes my dick twitch. Touching her makes it hard to think, but not touching her seems like an even worse option. I lead her back into platitude. We make it inside before Kevin can return with the promised drinks. If possible, the bar is even more crowded than it had been when we first arrived. I spot Annika and Thomas. Minnie has joined them, the three of them playing pool. There are shots lined up on the green felt. No doubt a drinking game is underway. Kevin is at the bar, his back to us. Three glasses of wine are in front of him, but he's busy talking to a girl in a low-cut shirt. I shift, putting my body between Dom and Kevin. It occurs to me that I'm behaving like a jealous boyfriend, but I can't seem to stop. And now I've dragged her into the overcrowded bar, which both of us dislike all in the name of getting her away from Kevin. I point to the dance floor in front of the DJ, trying to rally. Do you dance? I have to lean down to shout in her ear. Hell no. She shakes her head emphatically. Thank God. Neither do I. She laughs. The sound of it heats my blood. Um, I don't think there's room around the pool table to join them, she says. Not unless we want to be trampled to death by those guys. She points to a group of people dry humping one another as the DJ plays Anaconda. Do you want to grab that table over there? I point to a bistro table near the front entrance, barely visible through the crowd. When she nods I keep my hand on her back and guide her through the throng. Twice she has to sandwich her front against me so we can squeeze through a narrow opening. It takes all my willpower not to wrap her in my arms. I settle for glaring at some of the dicks I see checking her out. We finally make it to the empty bistro table. I have just pulled out her chair when someone says, there you guys are. Decided to join the fun huh? Fucking shit. Kevin bustles around me. He plops the glasses of Pinot Noir on the table and grabs a chair, inviting himself to join us. I force myself to lean back in the chair while Kevin launches into a spiel about Pinot Noir. Dom is genuinely interested, tasting through the wine selections and asking questions. The longer they talk and the more animated Kevin gets, the grumpier I become. 
I find myself slumped in my chair, arms folded, while he drones on about the importance of fog to help prevent the premature ripening of the grapes. I probably wouldn't be so annoyed if Kevin wasn't so damn good at this stuff. When Dom excuses herself to go to the bathroom, Kevin turns to me. Dude she is smoking hot. I'm not moving in on your territory, am I? A little late to be asking that question. Kevin shrugs. Yeah I guess. I couldn't tell if you guys were here on a date or here as friends, and when I offered to bring drinks neither of you turned me down so. He peers at me. Are you into her? My head says yes but my mouth says I still love Elle. Okay that's what I thought. You wouldn't have brought her a jar of dirt if you were into her. Kevin gives me a wide smile, getting up from his chair. Give her my number will you? Where are you going? There's a hot chick from Tennessee who's meeting me in 10 minutes at Ralph's. Ralph's is another bar in downtown Healdsburg. Tell Dom I had to go home to get ready for work tomorrow and tell her to call me. Thanks buddy. Kevin slaps me on the shoulder and strides out of platitude. I stare after him, a mixture of relief and anger boiling inside. It pisses me off that he would treat Dom like an afterthought, but I'm relieved that he's finally gone. Hey. Dom reappears out of the crowd taking her seat. Where did Kevin go? I don't give her Kevin's number. If he wants Dom, he's going to have to work for it. He said to tell you he had to get home to get ready for work tomorrow, but he's really going to another bar to hook up with a girl he met today. I study her reaction, knowing that I'm being a dick. Dom blinks, not seeming to be at all put off by Kevin's behavior. I can't decide if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I'm starting to get a headache, she says. Do you want to get out of here and go for a walk? Definitely. I jump at the chance to get out of this place before some other guy latches onto her. Outside we stroll around the downtown plaza, looking into shop windows. The irritation I'd been feeling ever since Kevin interrupted us slips away, as Dom and I fall back into the easy conversation we'd been having, back on the patio. I'm going to spend money in one of these places at some point during the week, Dom says. Number 6 right? Yep. I have to buy something that's not on sale. Dom shakes her head. That goes against my genetic code you know? My family never buys anything that's not on sale. Gramps is like that I say. He and my grandma were coupon pros. He once kept a running tally of how much money they saved over the course of a year using coupons. It was almost $2,000. Whoa. Her eyes widen when she looks up at me. My family would be so impressed if they heard that story. If there's a lull in the conversation tomorrow night, feel free to throw that one out there. You don't have to worry about conversation, I reply. My dad will be there. He can make conversation with a brick wall. Good to know. Am I reading that price tag correctly? She leans forward, peering through the window at a dark blue dress with birds on it. Does that say $299? Yep. Healdsburg has a reputation for pricey boutique clothing stores. I'm getting anxious just thinking about going into one of these places. I shouldn't be spending that kind of money when I don't even have a job. It's a pretty dress though. I'm not sure how to respond to that so I say, I'm sure you'll find a new job soon. You're really talented. Yes but I want to find a job I like you know. Yeah I get it. We continue along the sidewalk in easy silence. There's no strain to it, no need to fill it with words. It feels comfortable, like a favorite pair of jeans. Here's the tattoo shop. I stop us in front of a swinging glass door that leads to a set of linoleum stairs. Above us, the second-story light of the tattoo shop is on. The windows are open, and the buzzing of the needle can be heard. This is the place you and Thomas like, she asks. A friend of ours from high school owns it. She does work for a lot of locals. Is she always open so late? You'd be surprised how much business she does during bar hours. She laughs, tilting her head back to take in the glowing windows above us. As she does our eyes meet. She's standing right below me, her elbow lightly resting against mine. She's close enough to kiss, and from the way she's looking at me right now, I know she wouldn't mind. Should I do it? Should I kiss her? 
Just the idea brings warmth tingling to the surface of my skin, even as a heavier sense of guilt turns over in my stomach. Her phone dings. Dom looks away, the moment fizzling out. I'm not sure whether to be relieved or disappointed. It's Annika. Dom's nose wrinkles in amusement. Apparently she's been on a losing streak at the pool table and needs to go home. She's had one too many shots of tequila. We better go get her, I say. I'll take you guys home. As we head back to the car, Dom says, I've had a nice time with you tonight, Trevor. I like talking to you. Yeah, me too. It's been fun. You were right. Getting to know each other a little will make things easier tomorrow at dinner. We head back to Platitude. As we walk through the cool evening, our arms bumping as we talk, I realize how hard it is to think about Elle and the accident when I'm with Dom. There's something about her that makes it all fade to the background, and I can't decide if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Hello and welcome to the author commentary portion of episode 5 on the bad girl list. I am the author Marie Matthew. Hello everybody, I hope you're all having a good day. I know I usually start episodes with wine tasting but I'm a little tired today so I'm running it low-key and not quite as interesting. I'm drinking Bigelow decaf green tea, <laughs> which is actually one of my go-to. I drink a lot of this tea. I found it very nurturing, especially when I'm, I'm writing all day. I drink a lot of liquid when I'm writing. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. I had a ton of fun writing it. Um, the episode today was all about romantic interference, which you always have to have for a good romance story, right? There's always something or somebody interfering with the romance of, of the couple. And of course, right now, before Dom and Trevor, the romantic interference takes the form of Trevor's childhood friend, Kevin Durham. So it was super fun to introduce him and I promise you, you have not seen the last of Kevin. <laughs> He's gonna be up to his old tricks causing lots of trouble. And I would love to hear what you think of Kevin. This is a little bit spoilery, but I have a book in mind for him. He's got a whole story. I think he's gonna be book three, so we'll see. So I guess I'm saying don't hate on him too much. <laughs> he has his role in, in this particular story, in this particular episode, but he is gonna find redemption through love, which is what romance stories are all about, right? So anyway, let me know in the comments what you think of this episode. Let me know if you have any questions. And of course, you can always email me at romancingmarie at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you guys. Today, I wanted to talk about this audiobook, particularly the production that went into this particular audiobook. I have to say, I have been a longtime fan of audiobooks in a former phase of my life, we'll call it my pre-COVID life, I spent about 20 to 30 hours a week in the car. A lot, a lot of driving. It took COVID for me to slow down enough to realize that was not the life I wanted. Yes, I spent a lot of time in the car and I was also actively training for ultra marathons at the same time. So between living in my car and then using all of my free time to run ridiculously long miles, I ate up a lot of audiobooks. So audiobooks have kept me company for many, many, many hundreds of miles and hundreds of hours, and they have a very special place in my heart. So when I started writing and self-publishing, when services became available for indie authors to make audiobooks, I was very early out in that game. It was like super exciting. It was so amazing for me to be able to release my story on the platform that I loved the most. And over the years, I have produced 
gosh, it's got to be over 20 audiobooks. I've actually delisted some of them for various reasons, but I think I can safely say I have over 20 audiobooks under my belt. I've had a really interesting journey with audiobooks. Um, when I started out, it was really new. You could get audiobooks made for a reasonable price, or you could do a royalty share with the voice narrator. And I've always been lucky enough that I've been able to afford my audiobooks, but over the years, it's gotten increasingly more and more expensive. So on some of my audiobooks, they sell well and I make a decent profit every month. And some of them, they don't sell as well, especially as the market has become more and more crowded. So what I've found as an author is that the audiobook space is becoming much more crowded. The talent out there, the voice actors, they're charging more money. It's becoming a much bigger financial risk to create audiobooks, to invest in audiobooks. I should say there is always the option of doing royalty share, which is where the voice actor or actress makes the audiobook for free and they share in royalties with you. That's always an option. That option's never been particularly attractive to me because I like having my rights. I like owning my intellectual property and being able to do what I want with the audiobook. Oh, I forgot to mention, those of you on YouTube, do you see my new background? <laughs> this is my office. When I did the first couple of podcast episodes, I didn't have the physical copies of my books, so I had it on a green screen. But now, as you can see behind me, the books have arrived. They're here. I can put them on my shelf. Um, that is the bad girl list behind me. I think it looks super pretty. And then above my head, that's some of my zombie books. Not all of them, but that's a collection of them. And some of the covers are a bit older, so if you're looking for those covers on Amazon, you won't find them. My old covers they still have a special place in my heart, so I like to look at them. <laughs> so as I was launching this new romance brand, I spent a lot of time just thinking and feeling my way through audiobooks. And I have a group of writing buddies. They're other apocalypse authors, and we, we have a little mastermind. We get together once a month and we just share. We share our successes, we share our frustrations, we share our failures, we support each other, we give advice, we give virtual hugs. <laughs> the life of an indie author, it's, uh, yeah, there's always ups and downs in it. So it's a super supportive group. And when I was meeting with this group, one of the women mentioned that she'd heard about AI narration for books. And I thought that sounded so weird. I was like, who would use voice AI to generate their audiobook? That just sounds so weird. But the, the little seed got planted in my brain. And so flash forward months later, Couple, a year later, I don't know. I don't know how much time passed, but I found my way to Google. Google, as you know, they're always cutting edge. They're always at the front of the crowd in terms of technology. And Google invested a large amount of resources and time into developing an AI narration system specifically for audiobooks. And they actually worked with a lot of professional voice actors to develop this system. And so I thought, I wanna test this out. I wanna test drive it. I wanna see what it's all about. So I did it with one of my zombie books. It was a book that I didn't have an audiobook for and I just, I did it for my newsletter list just to see like, hey, what do you guys think? And it's really cool. So you can go in and you can pick gender, you can pick age, and you can even pick accent. And if you're, it's American accent, you actually have a range of different voices and ages within that. So I, I picked a voice and I uploaded my book. It generated the audiobook, And so I sent it out to my audience, my newsletter list to have a listen to. And it was just really interesting to hear their reactions. And most of them by and large were really positive. I explained to them why I was trying it, which was 
you know, here I am in this landscape of audiobooks that's becoming more and more competitive. It's much harder to sell audiobooks and they're also much more expensive. So I was exploring a new option and I wanted to see what they thought. And most of them were quite positive. It's interesting. I guess there's a group of readers out there that just hate audiobooks. It doesn't matter who narrates them. They like using their own imagination and hearing the voices in their head rather than through an earbud. I was actually surprised how many people wrote back and were just like, I hate audiobooks like in general. So that was interesting. But those that liked audiobooks were, were fairly positive with the response of how this particular zombie book sounded. So I was like, okay. And you know, I, I thought it sounded pretty good too. I mean, not perfect. Maybe someday, maybe someday robots will be able to replace human beings completely. But in my personal opinion, I thought if a human voice was 100%, the AI was probably at 85. It was pretty darn good. So when it came time to produce the bad girl list, I had to choose between traditional voice actors and this AI audio from Google. And after a lot of thinking about it, I decided to go with the Google AI. So this is a very long way of me telling you <laughs> that for these past episodes, you've actually been listening to an audiobook created through the Google AI narration software. So I'm really curious, like, A, could you tell? Now that you do know, does it bug you? Are you in awe? Do you think it's really cool? Yeah, I'm just really curious about your reaction. Like, I felt like it was, it was pretty darn good. And maybe it's not a 100% substitute for voice actors, but I still thought it was pretty darn good. I wanted to talk a little bit about the process of creating this AI audiobook because I think there might be this misconception that you just upload your manuscript and five minutes later you have an audiobook and that is not the case. Like I spent hours, hours, a couple of weeks actually working on this audiobook. No matter how I produce my audiobook, there's a tremendous amount of labor that goes into it because after the voice actors do their end where they record the book, the whole thing gets sent to me and I have to edit the whole thing. So if it's a five hour audiobook or a 10 hour audiobook or a 13 hour audiobook, like I'm investing all that time back into the book, editing everything and looking for mistakes or blips or funny sound waves, whatever it is. So it's a tremendous amount of work to create an audiobook whether I was using a professional narrator versus using Google AI. So what's interesting about the Google AI, and you probably notice this, is there's not distinct character voices. I did pick a female narrator for Dom sections, and I picked a male narrator for Trevor's sections, but in the actual dialogue, you don't have distinct character voices, which is probably one of the strongest if you're making your pros and cons list. That's one of the, the pro lists for the professional narrators, because the professional narrators almost always have a different character voice for each character, and it's it's one of the things that makes what their craft, like what they do so beautiful. I have a lot of respect for our voice actors, and the ones that I work with are all really, really wonderful and talented, but that was definitely a drawback. So knowing that there was not going to be distinct character voices among the different characters, I actually had to go through, I listened to every single line in the book and I made modifications so that it would always be clear, at least from my perspective, who was speaking, whether that was adding a dialogue tag, maybe rearranging something so that it was more clear that someone was speaking. So there actually quite a bit of work went into that. And the other thing that I spend a lot of time on is the AI as it's working with things. Sometimes the pronunciations are just weird. Google does have an interface where if a word sounds funky, you can highlight it and you can teach the AI how to pronounce it. Sometimes that worked really well. 
sometimes it still sounded terrible. So depending on the result, if I could get the AI to say it the way it was supposed to be said, yay, thumbs up, fantastic. Other times when it didn't work, for example, one phrase, if someone says to you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like, yeah, I understand, that never came out with the Google AI. So I'd have to replace that with a word or a phrase or a sentence. So I spent many, many hours, several weeks laboring over this AI narrated book. I'm quite happy with the way it came out. Like I said, I, I think AI narration definitely has its place in the world of audiobooks. And I also spent a lot of time researching a lot of different companies and some of them like they really do sound like robots they really do sound good or some of the software they're just not really friendly for people that are writing books like a hundred thousand word novels what their software does is like translate a paragraph I mean, they're not really made for the massive scale of an audiobook so after researching and I mean, even having conference calls with a couple of different companies to like explore different options different price packages I ended up coming back to Google because their interface was really made for books, like long books, and their voices just really sounded the best for fictionalized audiobooks. So that's my story. That's my history in the audiobook world. That's my journey. And I just wanted to paint a picture of how that's evolved over the years and how I came to be with an AI narrated audiobook that I'm sharing with you today. I weighed the pros and cons of telling everybody like in the very first episode that it was an AI narration. I wanted people to get a chance to get into the story and get the full experience without any biases. So that's why I waited a few episodes before sharing all this information with you because I think it would have been too easy to jump to a conclusion if this had been like the first thing I told you, right, in the very first episode. So I really am genuinely curious about your reaction and what you think. And it was really funny <laughs> when I was working on this, uh, I was telling my daughter, I'm like, it's a robot. I said, honey, a robot is, is gonna help me make an audiobook. I don't know, for some reason, she just thought that was so funny that I was working with a robot <laughs> to make an audiobook. I guess in some ways we use robots every single day, right? Alexa, Siri, whatever. <laughs> robots are the wave of the future. So yeah, I, I'm super curious to know what you think. So again, I mean, feel free to drop comments into YouTube. You can always email me. I don't know what I'm gonna do in the future. I was super excited to play around with this experiment and like fully immerse myself in this AI world and create something that I was excited to share with other people, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna do it this way again or if I'm gonna go with narrate, switch back to narrators. I don't know, but I really would love to hear what you think, so drop me a note. As always, thank you so much for tuning in as a storyteller it means the world to me to have an audience to share my stories with. So thank you, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of my journey. Thanks for being a part of Dominique and Trevor's journey and Tequila's journey. And I hope you stick around for the third book with Kevin's journey. God, I'm famous for changing my mind. So <laughs> maybe don't hold me to that 100%, but right now I'm definitely seeing like third book is gonna be about Kevin. So fingers crossed universe doesn't switch things up on me or maybe I don't switch things up on the universe. We'll see. If you would like to get the complete season and you don't want to wait week to week for next episode, of course, you can head over to my website. You can get the full ebook over there. You can get yourself an autographed hardback, autographed paperback. And of course, I have the Hello Date Night book boxes over there as well. Thanks for tuning in and I will be back next week with the next episode. Take care, everyone. Bye.